Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Edric Show. I am your host, Edric Jerome. This is the place for intelligent conversation with interesting people. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button, ring that notification bell. You'll get notified when I post content each and every week. My guest is Carl Unegbu, author of Comedy Goes to Court, When People Stop Laughing and Start Fighting. Carl is a renowned expert in the world of comedy and legal matters. His comprehensive book, which utilizes comedy icons and other figures, is a guide to help comedians become aware of ways to avert lawsuits and legal entanglements. And as I mentioned to him when we were, before we came on, it is quite timely. Your books are, uh, you couldn't have timed this better, sir. I, 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 <laughs> I mean, wow, uh, what, a, what a time to write a book about comedy and legal issues. Um, Carl is based in New York and previously served uh, as the editor of Comedy Beat website, He's also the writer of the O'Carl's Law blog site, which delves into the correlations between comedy and the law. Carl, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Awesome. Let's uh, let's get right into it. And I, I mean, I'm saying this over and over, but it's so true. Uh, your book is so timely, given all the recent uh, disagreements, we'll say, uh, in the world of comedy between comedians, stand-up comics, and others. Uh, but you've been writing about comedy for a long time. Uh, what motivated you to, to write this book in particular? And uh, where did your love for comedy come from? Well, thank you. Uh, um, thank you so much for that question. Um, with respect to how I got into comedy, I did that. Um, first of all, I studied uh, journalism at Columbia after practicing law in Miami, where I went to law school. So um, I got into comedy more like as um, an act, act, act of journalism, you know, we, me and some friends of mine, some former colleagues, we began this uh, website uh, to cover comedy. It's a news site. We call it Comedy Beat. So I was one of the editors and reporters. Um, so, so we did that. Uh, but before then, when I was going to school at Columbia, when I was just a student, I had covered comedy too. You know, more like for class work, you know, submission of, you know, submission for class assignments and things. But, you know, it wasn't anything um, resembling doing it for the media, you know, as some kind of media thing. So, but, you know, so I did that and then I left it behind when I graduated. So, years down the road, um, friends of my colleagues approached me to let's, you know, like start this website that covers comedy. So, yeah, that's how we got into comedy and, you know, it was New York City, lots of clubs, lots of people, lots of locals, lots of institutions. So yeah, it was like a real, uh, more like the place to be when he wanted to like cover comedy. So I mean, <laughs> so much was going through the city, you know, people coming and out. And so it was like a big moment. This was like, I'd say 20, 2009 when we started this or 2010, something like that. So I did that for a while, and then I started to notice something, that these comedians we are covering, we are actually coming in with legal issues around you know, their work. So that kind of like renewed, you know, kind of kindled the lawyer in me when I looked at comedy. It kind of made me begin to look at comedy in a different way than just somebody covering fun and games, you know, like comedy was just all fun and making people laugh and which is good, which is like the core of comedy. 
But then there was also this aspect that was emerging, becoming more prominent, something like a phenomenon in comedy where lawsuits were becoming, you know, part of the picture. So it kind of like made me um, start to look at it in a different way. So I started to blog about this, comedians and the lawsuits around their work and their lives and things. And then, you know, there were lots of comments back and forth from readers fans and readers who liked what I was doing and they critiqued, they applauded, they admired. So I did that for a whole like couple of years. So I amassed a whole bunch of you know stuff, material on that kind of coverage. And um, it was during one of the events that we had uh, covering comedy that you know some friends, fans, readers suggested to me, hey, why don't you maybe like put this into a book. I mean, that's the best way to be really useful to the industry, you know, like put this thing together in a book, the various aspects that you've been covering. Yeah, you know, people would appreciate that kind of thing. So they can like have a source where they can like uh, uh, access uh, this kind of conversation. So I started to think about it and um, it kind of made sense after a while. So that's how I kind of got into the idea of, uh, writing this this kind of book um one of the overriding themes in your book uh revolves around the critical nature of contractual language uh especially at the beginning of a partnership or deal um can you speak to why this is so important uh and why paying attention to the details of an agreement is so fundamental to comedians because if you look around just about everything happens because of either a contract situation uh, even now, if you look at what's going on with Monique and Paramount, you know, there's it's always about the contract. So talk to me about contractual language and why that's so important. Very, very. Uh, you know, I'm glad you should bring this up because um, um, that's the starting point, really, with this dance. I mean, if you want to look, you could go to Times Square or some public place and make people laugh and, you know, goof around. And, you know, if that's all you want to do, that's cool. But if you want to, like, Get paid for your work. Do this thing on a serious, you know, basis. You know, perform at clubs, perform for stations, perform uh, at shows. You know, places where people like really make a comedy career happen. A lot of times, you need to begin that by getting a proper agreement to govern. You know, the thing you're about to do, and. Uh, my friend, this is where so much stuff breaks down because, you know, just because you do the show, well, if you're not careful, you may not get paid. And there is no shortage of people who are willing to not pay you. So that, that's like the starting point. And in the book, I discuss so many uh, famous comedians who've had these issues, you know, like Gary Shandling, even Dave Chappelle, you know, um, you just name it, John Lovis. You know, Howard Stern, yeah, these, these guys are all, you know, Conan O'Brien, these guys are all discussed in that chapter where I talk about, like, making the contract. And the one thing that really ought to um, be considered important to comedians is to get to write the thing as clearly as you can so that, you know, people, you have as much clarity and as little conflict as you can because little conflicts, little disagreements in the way you've written the thing, it could cost you a lot of money down the road. 
to, to avoid lawsuits, the best way to really avoid lawsuits is one small rule of thumb is this. If you are making that deal and somebody says, how about this? Um, let's say you want to go from, from point A to point B, maybe from Times Square to you know, maybe Grand Central. And then somebody says, well, um, okay. So you go from Times Square to Grand Central, you get $50. How about something happens that you don't get to Grand Central today? You, maybe you get there tomorrow. What would happen? Would you still get the same money? If you guys, both of you don't answer yes to that question, then you have a problem. And that's, that's like a rule of thumb to like get the deal properly arranged so you kind of have the same understanding of the contract itself. Because if you have different understandings of what the contract says, what any term of the contract says, then at that point, you better believe that you have a lawsuit in your future hmm. when things you know, arise down the road. So yeah, so that's like, it's a very important chapter and it's a very important thing to consider. Frankly, it's the starting point before you even like get into what you can say, what you cannot say, joke stealing and all those other heavy things. Before you even get to like, let's say the show ends, how about syndication money? How about merchandising? These are all things that arise, especially if you're doing like a sitcom, you know, home improvement, you know, family, happy days, even the, the situation with the comedy store in Los Angeles. So these are all things. I mean, money, money is a big source of conflict. Because, you know, first of all, we are talking about money here. That's why these conflicts arise. I mean, they don't just arise, you know, out of nowhere. Usually it's about money. Big money. <laughs> yeah, especially big money these days mm -hmm. because, you know, comedy has become a, a big business, huge. And, you know, in the book, I discussed that comedy is in a golden age. So the money is big. Because of the big money, there's a lot of attraction to lawsuits and things like that. So, yeah, you know, so if you live in America, America is addicted to lawsuits. I mean, it's a, it's a very litigious society. So, I mean, if you're going to live here, it's something you have to be, I guess, watching um, out for, especially if you're beginning to succeed, make a lot of money, you know, come into the public square like comedy. And, uh, you know, if the money and the celebrity are flowing, then you tend to come into the crosshairs in a place like America with respect to lawsuits. So, yeah. And um, the best thing you can do for yourself is to get yourself a good agreement, perhaps starting with a good lawyer, and then you go from there. Um, <clears throat> public access to court documents uh, to me, <laughs> is a widely overlooked source of uh, information and, and at times entertainment. Some of the information in these court documents are highly entertaining. Um, you actually use court documents in your research. So tell me about um, how you go about, you know, <clears throat> looking and reading and evaluating court documents uh, and what makes them so interesting to you? Well, you know, court documents, uh, first of all, um, for the most part, they are public documents. Any citizen can, you know, go and, uh, yeah, sit in a courtroom, excuse me, sit in a courtroom, listen to proceedings, and then documents, yeah, you can access court documents if you make the proper request. I mean, sometimes you may have to pay some money for the copying, but, you know, it's, it's a public document. And, uh, yeah, so this, I mean, first of all, I started to deal with court documents as a journalist. You know, you cover things, and especially maybe some criminal proceeding or some attack, you know, something like that. So you, that was my first uh, 
that was my first um, attempt, my first activities in trying to like uh, access card document. I mean, apart from my days as a lawyer, which is different. If you're a lawyer, that's a whole other thing. But if you're like a journalist and a reporter and you're trying to cover this, it's a whole different angle to things. So yeah, so I did that uh, from a journalistic point of view. Then when I started to kind of change the angle a bit to how the law affects comedians, then yeah, uh, I also like began to um, you know pour over the court papers and things to like learn more about some of these issues. But um, to analyze the issues and like make a proper prediction about where things were gonna go. Well, no court document can tell you that. You know, you have to like, if you know the law, then you can like know how to steer that. So, but the book is, um, in the way I wrote the book, um, the book is like something at the intersection of law and comedy. By the way, that's this is what the book looks like. <laughs> comedy goes to court when people stop fighting, stop laughing and start fighting. So the book is like at the intersection of comedy and the law. And um, if you were just a journalist, you couldn't exactly write this book, a typical journalist, because you'd have to actually go to a lawyer to explain the law to you. You know, how the law affects uh, what comedians are doing. And then if you were just a lawyer, you probably wouldn't be able to write the book either because you'd be writing like a lawyer. And lawyers write in a way almost like for lawyers alone. You know, it's tough language. It's like mm -hmm. it's like deliberately upscale. Some some people call it mumbo jumbo. <laughs> so <laughs> lawyer language, lawyer speak. So it kind of takes somebody who um, understands the world of comedy, loves it, and then who also understands law and would know how to like break it down for comedians to understand in the language that they follow. Kind of, you know, think of the kind of language you would see on maybe when you read the when you read People's Magazine. It's different from the kind of language you would see in a law book, for instance. Very different kind of language. So for you to like explain to people, comedians and everyday people, what the law says or does about what they do for a living, you have to be able to like break it down, which means you have to know the law closely and then know how to write the thing for comedians to get. And if you're a journalist, your life is a, your life is um, a life of storytelling. You are able to write for the masses, general audiences, you know, New York Times, Los Angeles, whatever they are, they are for the masses. A law review book is not for the masses, it's for lawyers. So the language is different. So to be able to break it down and bring it over, to this world of comedians and everyday people. Yeah, you do have to really know what you're doing. So that's where the experience kind of comes in. And um, I was able to do the book because my life experience straddles the world of comedy and law. So I was able to like bring it together in that way. But you know, it's not, some people have asked me, well, why isn't there a book like this? Why has it never been written before? Well, that's part of the explanation. You have to like stand, uh, in a unique position to be able to write a book like that. You know, you have to like know both worlds, how they intersect, how they intersect before you could like uh, carry off this kind of project. And frankly, until I did it, I didn't even think it could be done. I wasn't even thinking to do that. People kept prodding me to do it, do it. And I was afraid maybe it, it couldn't be done. It hadn't been done before. But as I started to really think about it, 
you know, uh, I took it as some kind of mission to do this, more like as a service to the industry. You know, I figured, well, if I was covering comedy all along, it's fun and games, and then there's this other thing that is happening to comedy. Well, um, I'm actually a lawyer. I don't need someone to tell me, you know, what these things are. I don't need someone to explain the law to me. So I can explain it to this industry that I love writing about. You know, I know the way they behave, the way they think, and what kind of language, you know, would make sense to them. So that was why I deliberately wrote the book, you know, the language is kind of conversational in tone. The sort of language you'd read, let's say from People Magazine or on the world famous uh, page six of the New York Post, you know, that kind of language. That's the level of simplicity of this writing here, even though it's talking about the law, but it was the law broken down in a very simple manner that if you were riding on uh, the New York City subway, it could easily follow that kind of language. So, um, you also write a lot about uh, free speech, uh, which is a bedrock topic in your book. Um, and you explore in details as it relates to comedy. Um, what's your view of the current battle that comedians are facing now with free speech, especially in the era of uh, cancel culture and in an era of what I call uh, political action through comment sections? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's uh that's an interesting way of looking at it. <laughs> but um yeah, so but free speech, yeah. Um actually that's the biggest chapter in the book, you know, and it covers the gamut of uh it covers the entire gamut from like um literally every kind of comedian. I mean, I had guys there like you know, Jerry Seinfeld, you know, Jimmy Kimmel, you know, Jay Leno. You know, Chappelle, Oli John Oliver, BMA. So, yeah, I mean, it covers a whole bunch of stuff uh, because comedians talk for a living. Uh, if you talk for a living, you're liable to offend people, especially if you make jokes at the expense of people, when either you're talking about things or you're talking about people. And if you live in a place like America, which is addicted to lawsuits, yeah, so you can see the connection there. Between people talking, sometimes offending others, and then being sued. Now, you get sued. You get sued not only by people who are looking for money as such, even though some may be looking for money because, you know, comedy now is big money. So, yeah, right. there'll be those wanting to, there'll be those wanting to cash in, you know, write your coattails to fame and fortune by suing you. But that's one part of it. Now there's another part, people who are simply offended because you know we live in a, a time of, uh, it's, a, it's a very sensitive time with woke ideology, you know, woke intimidation, cancel culture. So yeah, so there are those sensitivities as well. And then there are people who would actually sue you, not even because they are looking for money or because you know they don't want you to say some things out in public, you know, like the cancel culture people, they, they don't want you to talk in certain ways, ways that they feel maybe you're attacking the vulnerable, punching down, they don't want you to do that. So they can sue you for that reason. But this other category I am talking about, they are not suing you for that reason, nor are they suing you to make money. They are suing you for strategic reasons, what I can call a strategic lawsuit, you know, what's, what we have seen happen sometimes. Like in the book, I discuss uh, the lawsuit filed by 
uh, Donald Trump against BMR. This was yeah, this was back in 2013, in over you know like the Barack Obama's uh, birth certificate and things. So Ma kind of like turned it turned it against Donald Trump in a different way, you know, tell him look if you uh, if you can produce your birth certificate to show that you are not the son of an orange orangutan and a human <laughs> woman, <laughs> I will give you five million dollars. The same money he Trump promised to give Obama if Obama would produce his birth certificate. So, I mean, yeah, Ma said that Trump's, the color of Trump's hair and the color of an orange orangutan, you know, were the only two things in nature of the same color. So, you know, he made it as a joke on, <laughs> on Jay Leno's show. And then, you know, unexpected, well, very surprisingly, Trump, the next day or so, came up with his birth certificate. You know, so, well, here's my birth certificate. You know, I am not the son of an orange orangutan. I'm a human being. I was born in Queens, all that jazz. Well, now, so pay pay me $5 million. Well, when Ma didn't pay, he sued him. <laughs> he sued him. I mean, this was so surprising to people that he would actually go forward, you know, go through with that threat. So he sued him. And of course, the threat, the lawsuit was settled, you know, like months down the road on April Fool's Day of all days in 2013. But the point of the suit wasn't so much to get the money, but to harass a comedian, shut him up, you know, some kind of censorship and that kind of thing. But the one that was actually more egregious is the one against John Oliver, you know, the coal industry billionaire, uh, Robert Murray, you know, a, a good friend of Donald Trump sued Oliver for commentary Oliver made about um, Oliver was trying to ridicule the Trump administration for trying to renew and revive the coal industry. And then Oliver was saying that that was a terrible thing that this other billionaire who was like one of the advocates of those kinds of programs, that he was actually an obstacle to mine safety regulations. You know, he talked about some explosion at the mine in Utah that killed, that killed nine people and all the disputes about the actual cause of that explosion. So Oliver said, um, Oliver said it was the fault of the billionaire and his company for not providing enough, you know, safety um, precautions and stuff. But the billionaire was claiming that it was an earthquake that caused that. So there was that dispute. And then he said, well, um, they, then Oliver called him a geriatric Dr. Abel and everything. So before the episode ran, so they called Oliver, say, well, look, you know, um, we believe this is a defamatory. You cannot run this. It's uh, false. It's very defamatory. You can run. If you run it, we are going to sue you. Oliver said, fine, I'm going to run this. Sue me. So he, like, presented the episode. And, well, this is a billionaire. You know, he has money to make good on his threat. So he right. sued him. <laughs> But the suit ended early. But the, the lesson of the story is, I mean, he lost because, you know, look, he was going to lose anyway. And he wasn't suing because he thought he would win. Again, it was a strategic lawsuit. By the time the suit ended, and the suit ended early, after a few, a few very few short months, Oliver had spent over $200,000 on lawyers. He had also, his uh, libel insurance went up like more than 300%. So, I mean, even though he won the lawsuit, which he was going to win anyway, he wasn't exactly smiling because, you know, 
this guy had tried to teach him a lesson and that was the whole point of the thing. So I guess these are the issues around free speech for comedians. When you speak freely, a lot of times you're going to win, but you know, at what cost? And those are the um, considerations today that are bubbling up. These are things that are making uh, lawsuits. Apart from there are issues of contract and joke stealing and other things, but this thing about free speech yeah, is beginning to kind of make comedy morph into a thing that attracts lawsuits where, for instance, the cost of defending lawsuits now has become almost a cost of doing business, something that affects the bottom line in comedy as a career thing. So, you know, um, and the suits, you know, they come, sometimes the government sues comedians, sometimes fans sue them, sometimes um, comedy clubs sue them, other times even family members, even former lovers in romantic relationships with them. So, you know, it's a crazy thing. And like I said earlier, the motivations differ from one person to the other. But the right, common right. denominator is these lawsuits that, that are being filed that have become like a cost of doing business in comedy. And if you want to trace when it began, it's a new phenomenon, like something that is happening in contemporary comedy. It wasn't there like a generation ago. You know, it wasn't there a generation ago, but it's here now because, like I said, it's because comedy has become more important um, in the cultural conversation, in the pop culture. The profile has risen very much. Um, I mean, like if you saw John, um, John Stewart returned the other day to The Daily Show two, two Mondays ago, and then he knocked Biden, he knocked Trump, and you saw the balls he generated. It was hilarious, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing comedy has become. The profile has risen, the money has increased, and um, yeah, and then it matters that we live in America, a place addicted to lawsuits. So what that means is this. Comedy has come into the crosshairs of people filing lawsuits. It has become the shiny new thing, you know, in the, on the landscape. So it's predictable how the lawsuit situation uh, would arise from that kind of circumstance. Hmm. Um, something else you touch on in one of the lawsuits um, revolves around um, new platforms for comedy. I mean, in the old days, you had comedy clubs or you had movies or you had a sitcom and people would watch it and so forth and so on. But now with the rise of YouTube and TikTok and places like that, um, you write about a, a, an example of where someone saw something on YouTube and may or may not have used it in a comedy routine. So talk to me about the new platforms, especially with this uh, with more access now and how that can uh, be a, a, a good thing. But also, um, you know, people can literally take ideas of something they see on TikTok. Yeah, ex exactly. I mean, yeah, it's one of those things that happen where, you know, people are talking about like comedy, you know, copyright infringement. Let's say, you know, I am saying the same thing as you are saying, but you, you are the man with the bigger microphone. You're a national figure. I make one joke and you take my joke and you run it on your big platform. And the entire world, they give you credit for that joke, not knowing that, you know, you got the joke from me, the guy with the lesser profile. In other words, so what is my... What can I do to protect myself, me, the little guy? You know, so it's, it's some of the issues that I discuss in the book. 
like the lawsuit against somebody sued uh, Conan O'Brien. You know, he said Conan stole his joke about the Washington Monument, and then this guy said he rendered his joke on Twitter. His joke was on Twitter. Said he posted the joke on Twitter one morning, and then that same evening, that Conan, you know, ran the same joke on his show. That well, people gave Conan credit for that joke. They didn't realize that the joke came from him. So he turns around and he sues Conan for damages, you know, to like pay him, you know, money for stealing his show, you know, copyright infringement lawsuit. So one of the big issues is, one of the big issues is, well. Did he really copy the joke from him? If so, I mean, I mean, first of all, if you're talking about copyright infringement, joke stealing, you have to show that the other person had access to the platform where your joke or what, whatever, the, whatever the material is that was allegedly stolen, where the material existed. In this case, it's a joke. So where did the joke exist? Well, he said the joke existed on Twitter. You know, he posted it on Twitter. So that's where he said that, well, this guy had access to it. Okay, if he had access to it, did he in fact steal the thing? Well, those are some of the big issues. And, you know, in comedy, you know, is um, the, the copyright protection is kind of smaller than what you would have with movies and things. Because mm -hmm. in comedy, you know, things like the setup. Because, you know, setup in a comedy, in, setup for a joke is sort of like the plot in a movie. So you go from the plot to the conclusion and things. In comedy, the analogy, what looks like the same thing is like the, the setup. You have the setup and then you have the punchline. So if you can like, in comedy, the, the punch, the setup is not protected at all, which is unfortunate, but that's the reality. Unlike the movies, in the movies, the plot line and everything is protected all the way to like the conclusion of the thing. In comedy, the setup, is not protected. Now the punchline, the punchline is not protected if you can like simply vary the thing just a bit. If the, if the punchline was like ABC, you can say, you know, DEZ. That, you know, so that kind of thing, it's easy to steal a joke in comedy because of the small copyright protection that exists for comedy material. So that's like a struggle, you know, like a continuing struggle in the industry to see how greater protection can be afforded to comedy. But it's tough. I mean, it's, it's been an old conversation that is not really getting any better. And with more forums where comedy can be presented, TV, the internet, you know, Twitter, social media, all these new forums, uh, it has become more difficult to like control copyright infringement when it comes to jokes, you know. So, I mean, one, one person said one time, David Brenner, you know, the comedy legend. Brenner said um, it's easier to stop a serial killer than a, a serial thief in comedy. <laughs> you know, and if we can protect our jokes, then he'd be a billionaire somewhere in Europe today. So, yeah, mm -hmm. so that's like an old industry problem. It's been there a long time and um, it's getting worse now, except that because of the new situation we face with lawsuits and things, so there are more lawsuits that are filed now over that kind of uh, problem. Previously, all, all people did was, okay, um, if somebody is a joke thief, steals jokes all the time, then the producers who produce shows or comedy clubs, they don't book the person. 
say, you know, you're a job thief. So they kind of blackballed the person from the industry. You know, that was the job of the gatekeepers. Today, well, you know, the problem is still there, but the work that gatekeepers are doing, it has become less and less effective because, like I said, there are more and more platforms where comedy is rendered and where jokes can be stolen, you know, jokes on TV, uh, things on specials on HBO, you know, things on Twitter, social media. So there are lots of new places now, other than just nightclubs, sorry, comedy clubs. I mean, traditionally, you know, you wanted to see a comedy show, you went to a comedy club. It's not that way anymore. You don't have to go to a comedy club today to see a show. You can sit in your living room and you're watching a comedy show. You know, you can go on Twitter. You can, you know, like, you know, so many other places. There are lots of specials out there. So, you know, it's, it's a whole new environment. And there are so many more lawsuits now in this new environment in that way. So, yeah, um, it's a particular problem. But for YouTube, I remember you said YouTube. Yes. Again, YouTube is another forum where jokes you know, are rendered, where things, these things exist. Now, if you take a joke from YouTube, somebody else's joke, now, can they sue the YouTube uh, proprietor for letting you steal the joke? No, the answer is no. And you know, we've had that problem uh, that you know, it came up. I mean, I, I covered the problem in this book where I uh, talked about the lawsuit between South Park. Right, right. Brownmark, you know. Mm-hmm. But eventually, the court said, "Well, look, you, you got it from you got it from YouTube, but it doesn't mean that YouTube um, has any liability for you stealing the joke." So they analyzed the case by saying, "Well, how much copying did he do? If he copied just a little, then you know that comes under what they call fair use, because under fair use, under the fair use doctrine, you know you're allowed to copy something as long as you copy just enough." For your purpose, if your purpose is commentary, for instance, you want to comment on a book, well, you have to kind of tell people what you're commenting on. So inevitably, you're going to have to take some of the book, some of the text in the book to present it and then critique the book if you're doing commentary. Or if you're trying to parody a show, you want to do a parody of a show, well, you can't just do parody in the air. You have to show people what you're parodying. So these situations all involve taking the copyrighted work, just a little of it for your purpose. If your purpose is commentary or parody, yeah, so that's how that case happened. The court said, well, that, you know, South Park just took a little, just one and a half minutes of a 25-minute show that, you know, it was just using it for parody. And so it wasn't copyright infringement, you know, that kind of thing. But YouTube is, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, there's a problem there, but Unfortunately, you can't exactly sue YouTube today, you know, because it's just um, a proprietor. It, do, it doesn't, you know, uh, control the content unless, for instance, you actually tell them that, look, you know, this content, it violates my copyright. I need, you to, I need you to remove it. So if you tell them that, then they have to investigate to see if the material offends your copyright. If it does, then they can take it down. But if you didn't do that, if you just came to sue them because you saw your material being uh, violated on their side, then it's not enough. You have to show that they have some fault. Usually the fault is that you told them to take it down 
and they didn't investigate. They allowed the thing to stay there anyway. I don't know if I'm making sense with that. No, 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 it is because it's such a, um, uh, I think you also wrote about a situation with Michael Che, uh, uh, a situation where there was a, a TikToker, I believe, or, or right. who, who had, who had uh, put a joke out there and was saying that Michael Che took it exactly. and used it in his comedy show. Um, you know, but ultimately, you know, I don't think it went anywhere, but you know, that whole concept of fair use and with so much content on YouTube, it's almost uh, impossible unless you don't watch YouTube to not be influenced by it. So I would think uh, for comedians, especially um, it's a, it's a, it's a very dangerous situation because you're right. Um, the larger players, the larger comedians can literally um, embellish it a little bit and, and uh, borrow it and make it their own. And then your content is obsolete. Right, right. And, you know, the there's another reason why, there's a further reason why stealing jokes today uh, is a particular problem because comedy has become big today, big business. A lot of money is paid today for comedy products. So your joke is like your money in the bank. If somebody is taking your, stealing your joke, you know, they are literally stealing money from your pocket. So, you know, the thing, uh, it rises to a level today that, wasn't there before when comedy wasn't a biggie. I mean, look, just one generation ago, if you said you wanted to grow up to be a comedian, your parents didn't exactly feel thrilled about your career plans. <laughs> you probably would be told to maybe become a lawyer, become a doctor, a teacher, you know, some career where you actually get paid and look forward to, you know, retirement or whatever, not comedy. But we've come a long way from there to now where comedy is like, a thing in itself, a whole career path that could lead you to fame and fortune and whatever. So, you know, um, what that also means is, um, so what is this thing you have? What is this product you are selling? That product you are selling is your joke. So if somebody steals a joke today, as opposed to one generation ago, they are stealing something of real, tangible value to you. So joke stealing today has become a, uh, yeah, a more significant problem than it was back in the day. Uh, in the last couple of minutes we have left, uh, I want to ask you now about the phenomena of comedians going at each other and arguing and 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 calling each other out. <clears throat> I mean, we had obviously the uh, the Cat Williams nuclear interview that he did on Club Shay Shay. Mm -hmm. uh, you have Monique, and and just over the weekend you had a situation where. Uh, Donnell Rawlings, comedian who's associated with Dave Chappelle, openly confronted Corey Holcomb during his show uh, about some of the things that Corey Holcomb was saying. And so you're seeing this this anger and confrontational uh, aspect of comedy that uh, I've never seen before. And it, and it tends to happen among comedians of color. I mean, that, that's another wrinkle to all of this. So uh, studying comedy as long as you have and writing about it and knowing it like you do. What's your your perspective on this this new thing of comedians going at each other like this? Yeah, I think I think that is um, a natural product of uh, the new situation we have today, where comedy has become so significant. Um, it has become uh, it has taken on a much higher profile. Like I mean, I, I just gave you an example of uh, you know John Stewart and his appearance. So this is what comedy is today. You know, it's almost like a new the new religion. It provokes a lot of um, you know reactions in people, and um, you know, 
a lot of people watch comedians. Comedians are like, some people have described them as the new rock stars of today. They set the tone in the cultural conversation, but you know, in a way that they didn't before. I mean, it used to be that they were just people making a joke. Now, you know, there is this new phenomenon, for instance, political comedy, where comedians actually take a position, stake out a position, they advocate for their point of view, the people on their side of the political divide. And, you know, it's part of the whole polarization of society today, on the right and on the left. So comedy is no longer something where people just make jokes, not both sides. No, people now like pick sides. And they come to shows to, they come to a show knowing the politics of the comedian. So if you try to like vary from what they thought you were going to present, they did mm -hmm. not applaud. So, you know, it's a whole different thing altogether. So now, so you have that, the polarization of the political space and then political comedy comes into it. So people now use jokes to, to hurt and to wound and to promote a political perspective and then there's also this thing about woke ideology and cancel culture and things. So these things have made comedy um, this new big thing. Uh, and the environment itself is so uh, sensitive to what people say and things like, like cancel culture and stuff. It's a very sensitive environment where you know you're, you're not expected to say certain things, you know by the woke intimidators who think, well, you, you shouldn't be punching down. You're like oppressing people who were previously oppressed. So yeah, so there's all of that. I guess my point is, there's a new environment where comedy has become a very serious thing for all sorts of reasons, whether it is political mm -hmm. comedy, where you are taking a side in the political debate. Mm -hmm. Let's say, I mean, if you see a guy like Jimmy Kimmel, that comedian, or Bill Maher, their politics is different from the politics of, say, Greg Goffeld. So there's left and there's right, and that's just the way it's going. So comedy has become this thing that's active in politics and in people's lives and in the daily conversation about culture. So, and then of course, there's also money and celebrity in it. So these things are, it places comedy in a place where it never was, even just one generation ago. So if you're talking about this new, emotions that it evokes in people and things. I mean, one time, Will Smith went, it was two years ago, he went to the, the Oscars and slapped uh, you know, Chris Rock. And so, I mean, this is what you know, comedy has become. It's no longer just mere fun and games. It has become a way to like push a perspective, political perspective, or like try to knock somebody on a social plane, you know, that kind of thing. So, and then of course, there's also money in it. So yeah, it's part of the whole new world, a brave new world that we live in today. That is why uh, it's provoking all those kinds of, uh, you know, emotions and things. Well, that's well, Carl, uh, I, I want to thank you so much for uh, taking the time to, to speak with me today. Uh, as I mentioned uh, multiple times, uh, your book is is very timely. I, I encourage folks. It's a great read, and you forget about a lot of the legal battles that had happened before. You you wrote some things about Cat Williams that I totally forgot about. You know, you, we look at Cat now, but you were writing about things that happened, you know, 10, 12 years ago, and right. others uh, who are now, you know, still in the news. And so, um, your book, uh, as I said, um, it really gives a 
a very unique perspective on the times today. And and you were right there back then. You you kind of called all this. You you saw it coming, and yeah. and that's reflective in your book. So I, I applaud you uh, on your foresight uh, because this comedy thing is uh, it's massive right now. It is totally massive. And here's the thing about this, and uh, what I have to say. Um, this book has two aspects to it. I mean, if you're in it for the jokes, there are lots of wonderful jokes, you know, fascinating read, you know, lots of things comedians did. I mean, it could give you the sense that, reading the book could give you the sense that maybe you're sitting in a comedy club, taking in a show, or you're watching a comedy special on HBO or something. So that's one aspect of the book, the stories that happen even before the law intervenes to say one thing or the other, just the things the comedians were doing before they got in trouble with the law or with each other or with the fans. So that in and of itself is very interesting. If you want to read the book for that reason, for the jokes in it, yeah, great. But if you also want to read the thing for the more serious aspect where we are now talking about, you know, how comedians can stay safe, protect their material, not get in trouble, how they can fight back against uh, people trying to control their free speech, all that stuff. Then that's the other aspect of the book. And as you can guess, that's where the title of the book comes from. You know, comedy goes to court when people stop laughing and start fighting. You know, this other aspect of it, where the law now intervenes. The first aspect is just the stories. You know, it's just with the stories. Then the other aspect uh, deals with what the law does in comedy, how it intervenes, breach of contract, free speech, copyright infringement, all that stuff. So whatever reason you choose to read the book for, you know, um, it's a fascinating read and the language is simple and accessible. You know, if you like uh, the sort of simple, easy language you find um, in People Magazine or the New York Post, yeah, this is the book you want to read. You know, this is a continuation of that kind of language. So yeah, um, it's a good read. And um, this third comedy goes to court when people start laughing and start fighting. What is All right. And uh, if people want a copy of the book uh, or more information about you, where can they go? Yeah, they can. First of all, a copy of the book is available on Amazon and you know at bookstores. He asks for the book and they can get it to you if it's not on the shelf. And then to um, follow my blog and other commentaries over the years, it's called uh, Ocas Law. Um, Ocas Law, um, that's where my blog is. It's Ocas at http, you know, http And um, it has lots of readings about this. And then it, it goes beyond just the law. It also has commentaries on the contemporary issues in society, like, you know, the I mean, the one I just put out there, this story about moonlighting in Canada. Mm -hmm. There was this guy, uh, a journalist from NPR, who was fired from his job for moonlighting as a comedian. So, you know, I kind of talk about that issue. And yeah, the whole thing about cancellation, political correctness, you know, th these ones have nothing to do with the law. They are just social commentary. So the, the blog has both commentary on social issues and, you know, the sort of stuff that it, that's in the book. So that's where they can go for more reading uh, on these issues. But yeah, um, it's there. Ocas Law uh, is a blog. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, well, my guest has been Carl Unegbu. He is author of Comedy Goes to Court, When People Stop Laughing and Start Fighting. 
this is a guide about what's going on today. Uh, so as you see all the headlines around comedians and lawsuits and things happening in the world of comedy, Carl's book will give you some excellent context to put it in uh, and help it all make sense. So, Carl, congratulations on the book. And I want to thank you for coming on The Edric Show. Thank you so much, Edric. I'm very honored to have been here. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that. You're very welcome. This has been another edition of The Edric Show. I am your host, Edric Jerome. This is the place for intelligent conversation with interesting people. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button, ring that notification bell, and you'll get notified when I post content each and every week. I want to thank you for tuning in, and I'll catch you on the next episode.